Welcome to the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. Karen Dion's award-winning novels set in Michigan's Upper Peninsula wilderness have been translated into dozens of languages and landed on bestseller lists around the world. She comes by her knowledge of the UP wilderness by dint of her having built and lived in a cabin off the grid near St. Ignace for three years with her husband and infant daughter. Karen has been active in the writing community for over 20 years. She co-founded the online writers community Backspace, organized the Backspace Writers Conferences in New York and the Salt K Bahamas Writers Retreat, and served on the board of directors of the International Thriller Writers. Her previous book, The Marsh King's Daughter, was named a 2018 Michigan Notable Book, took home the Barry and the Crimson Scribe Awards for Best Novel. The Marsh King's Daughter will soon be released as a movie starring Daisy Ridley and Ben Mendelsohn. Well, I have here six o'clock, and so I want to welcome everybody who's here tonight to be with our two-time UP Notable Book Award winner, Karen Dion. Let's give her a hand. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the awards. That's that's what's awesome about it. Sometimes you're in a very, very small group. So um, it's pretty exciting because tonight we're going to be talking about the Wicked Sister. And um, before we get carried away, Victor always likes to give us some UPA updates or UPA. You say UPA. I always say uh, UPA, right? Debbie talked me into saying UPA. So that's, she, she must be right. She's more UPA than I am. So go so, ahead, Victor. Tell us what's what we can be expecting these days. Sure. Uh, there's exactly five days left to submit your stories for the UP reader. If you want to be in UP reader number seven, I am holding in front of me UP reader number four, and you'll see on the bottom, it says with best-selling uh, author Karen Dion. Now, if you go to upreader.org and buy this or, or pester your librarian, mm -hmm. you'll have the complete transcript of Karen's talk that she gave to UPA in Marquette in uh, June 6th of 2019, which seems like a hundred years ago. Uh, <laughs> I that was it. I met her the day before I became president of this organization, and little did I know she was going to be up all night finishing the final draft of the Wicked Sister. Oh, she's she's nodding, and yep. and she gave a, a an amazing keynote, and it's all captured in UP Reader Number Four. If you want to read her tips about uh, how she struggled to become uh, the amazing author that she is today, so. Uh, that's all I have for now, and I will turn it over to you guys. Yeah. So without any further ado, I know Karen, you're you're a big draw, and we have a lot of excited people who've read your book and maybe have read books, plural. Yes. So I don't want to take up too much time. Um, Karen Dion. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Evelyn. And thank you all for coming tonight and for having me and for the, the award, you know, um, it's, it just, as, as a writer to be recognized by my fellow writers for the quality of my work, that just, that just means a lot. So I really thank you for that. So I thought that I would begin by talking just a little bit about my writing background, not a, a great deal, but um, so, because, you know, the, my recent books have been quite successful <laughs> compared to my early books. So how, do, how does this happen? So I began writing seriously with a view to publication in 1998. 
And uh, I signed with my literary agent in 1999 after making like every mistake possible as far as querying. And, and I was querying with a first draft, which, you know, do not do that if you are an aspiring writer, but I didn't know anything about the business. So I just sort of um, lucked my way in, if you want to call it that. Uh, my literary agent he's still my agent today. He signed me even though the novel that I was working on at the time wasn't ready uh, because he felt that he liked the premise and he thought the, the writing was strong and I could pull it off with a rewrite. So three rewrites, three and a half years later, we were both uh, so tired of working on it. Um, he sent it out to editors and we didn't get a sale. So I went back to the book, but I learned so much, you know, in the process. So I went back to the book that I had been working on while I was querying for agents. And this is it right here. This is my first published novel, Freezing Point. Um, this is the mass market paperback size, like um, you, but when Freezing Point came out, it was in grocery stores and drugstores and Barnes and Noble and Borders. We still had Borders then. So this was super exciting. So, and then my next book, um, Boiling Point, came out a couple of years later. These two books are science-based thrillers, similar to what Michael Crichton writes, set in the in the present day, but with a heavy dose of science in them. And, you know, that's what I started writing because that's the kind of book I like to read. And at the same time that I was uh, writing and seeing these books published, I also got very involved with writers online. So here's here's a little plug for Yupa, you know, because you guys know when you band together, you 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 know the what is this? The sum is greater than the total of its parts, right? You know, so so you help each other. Um, this was in the early days, 1999, 2000. I didn't know any writers in person. So I started associating with writers online, ended up starting my own writers group, which grew quite large. And I um, put on conferences for, for aspiring writers in New York City for, for about 10 years. And I joined the board of directors of the International Thriller Writers. So while all this is going on, um, Freezing Point and Boiling Point, they they it was exciting to see them be published, but they only had modest success. And in fact, um, Boiling Point's numbers, sales numbers were so so uh, low <laughs> that my publisher did not want any further books from me. Which that happens, you know, it's a business, and you have to be have to be you know, selling books in order to keep, keep selling books, keep publishing. So um, there were a lot of times that I thought, well, you know, maybe this is as good as it's going to get because, you know, having a couple of novels published in, in mass market paperback is more than a lot of other authors ever see. But, uh, and I, and I thought, well, maybe I should just concentrate on the conferences and the other things that I was doing. But in the lead up to my 2013 conference in New York City, I happened to notice that a writer who had gotten her literary agent at one of my previous conferences was coming out with her next book. And I hadn't written anything. And it just hit me. And I thought, you know, I haven't reached my publishing goals. And I realized that I had gotten distracted by being so involved around the edges of writing, you know, with the conferences and, and the um, being on the board of directors and, and many other things I wasn't writing. So I dialed back on those other things, and it wasn't too long after that that I got the idea for The Marsh King's Daughter. I just happen to have a copy right here. And for me, The Marsh King's Daughter just changed everything. It, it was psychological suspense. 
it got a lot of attention um, when my uh, literary agent sent it out to uh, editors to see if anybody wanted to publish it. Um, I should mention for Freezing Point, my first one, we had one offer and it came six months after he had sent the book out. We didn't even know that the book was still in play. Well, for The Marsh King's Daughter, my agent sent it out to a bunch of editors on a Monday. Um, Tuesday morning, he heard back from many of them. They'd already read it. Wednesday, we had our first offer. Thursday, we had another offer. Friday, uh, basically 10 days later, The Marsh King's Daughter sold at auction and it was a 12-way auction, which means that 12 publishers wanted to publish the book, which was like, you know, yeah, it was really crazy. And that was just for North American rights. So immediately after the Marsh King's daughter sold in a seven-way auction in the UK and a five-way auction in Germany and a three-way auction in Korea and for a record amount in Poland, it just, it just kept going like that. So altogether, the Marsh King's daughter has been published in translated and published in 27 languages, which, yeah, so... I say you you would have to take all my previous publishing experience, combine it, and supersize it to equal what happened for The Marsh King's Daughter. Um, for those of you who haven't read The Marsh King's Daughter, maybe I should say just briefly what it's about. So um, this is the story of Helena, who for the first 12 years of her life, she lives with her mother and father in a cabin surrounded by marsh or swamp in the Tuquamanum River Valley in the UP, right? And during those 12 years, she doesn't see anyone except her mother and father, which might sound grim, but it's the only life she knows. She loves her life. She loves hunting and fishing and foraging. She's a little tomboy. They live entirely off the land. She finds out when she's 12, the reason they live like that is because her father kidnapped her mother when her mother was a teenager. And she's the product of that crime. And that's why they, he hid them away. And that's half the book. In the present day part of the book, uh, Helena is a young mother of two little girls. She's living south of Grand Marais. Uh, her husband doesn't know her history because there was a lot, lot of notoriety when she and her mother left the marsh. And she just wanted to have a, a quiet, normal life. So she took a new name and she changed her looks. And so he knows nothing about her past. Her father has been in prison in Marquette for um, 13 years, I think it is, 15 years. And um, he escapes during a prison transfer and disappears into the Sini Wildlife Refuge, or so he makes police think. But Helena knows he's coming for her. So she has to use the hunting and tracking skills that he taught her when she was a little girl to find him before he can find her. So, you know, there's this cat and mouse game in the present mixed in with chapters from the past telling how she grew up and so forth. And I, I just want to add here at this point, I, I talk about the book a lot, you know, over the last few years, it's been five years since it published. And I've, I've talked about it. I, my UK publisher brought me over to London to do some signings over there. And my Norwegian publisher brought me over to that country to do some talks and signings. But I love talking to UP people because you know, these places I'm talking about. <laughs> I can say Sini Wildlife Refuge, and you know what I mean. So it, it's really fun to talk to you guys about this tonight. So um, when, when The Marsh King's Daughter sold, I took a two-book deal with my publisher, even though I had no idea what the next book was going to be. 
And so that next book, of course, is is what becomes The Wicked Sister, right? But at the time, um, I had a conversation with my editor, and we talked about um, what would the next book be. And he named four things that he felt that the follow-up book should share with the Marsh King's daughter. So the four things were um, another psychological suspense, same or similar setting, a fairy tale element, and an intricate structure. And I was especially pleased that he named those last two things because that's what I was most proud of in The Marsh King's Daughter. Then, then of course, you know, he sent me on my way, go forth, write a book. Uh, the challenge for me was incorporating those four elements without just doing a copy of The Marsh King's Daughter, right? Those of you who've read it know that the fairy tale element in The Marsh King's Daughter, uh, uh, the book, the part of the story that's set in the past parallels the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale of the Marsh King's daughter. So it's very much focused on that one fairy tale. And if you've read The Wicked Sister, you know that I don't use any one particular fairy tale this time. Um, instead, I like to think of it as like, it's almost like a fairy tale itself. So The Wicked Sister, for those again, who haven't read it, um, it's the story of Rachel. Uh, who, when the book opens, she's living in the Newberry Mental Hospital. I'm playing a little fast and loose with the dates and the hospital is still active, even though this is, uh, you know, contemporary fiction. And the reason she's there is because she believes that she accidentally killed her mother and father when she was 11. She's responsible for their deaths. And so, you know, she went into a catatonic state. They sent her to the hospital. She doesn't want to get better because, again, you know, she believes that that being in the hospital is like a self-punishment for, for, for what she considers a crime that she did. And so she finds out um, basically the end of the first chapter that she couldn't have done this thing. So she goes back to her home to try to sort things out. And home for Rachel. So... Helena lived in this like rough cabin where, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Um, Rachel's home is still kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it's a it's a beautiful log cabin um, just over the top. Everything is gorgeous. It was built. Uh, it's been in the family for generations. And her great great grandfather was one of the timber barons, you know, and he he set aside this 4000 acres for himself and it's never been logged. Again, you guys know I'm talking fiction, right? Because you're not going to find 4,000 unlogged acres in the Upper Peninsula. But that's the beauty about writing fiction. You can just sort of make it up. Anyway, so Rachel's parents are wildlife biologists. Her father studies the frogs and amphibians that are on the property, and her mother studies black bears. And Rachel has a, a particular affinity for black bears. So, so much so that she even believes that she can talk to them. And again, you know, it's the opposite of Helena because uh, if Helena saw a black bear, she would, you know, shoot it and eat it, <laughs> but uh, she wouldn't try to talk to it. <laughs> anyway, so um, those are some of the differences, you know, between the two books and, and the rough story. But back to the fairy tale element. So, you know, a, I, again, I'm trying to create kind of an overall fairy tale feeling with the story. So this beautiful, you know, hunting lodge in the in the woods, that's like the castle in the forest, right? And then obviously there is a, a sister and a wicked sister because that's the title of the book. And so, you know, you see that a lot in fairy tales too, like Cinderella and her stepsisters. There's a rivalry between sisters. 
And the Wicked Sister also has talking animals, <laughs> right? Which is on in every fairy tale, the animals can talk. So uh, I had a little fun with it as far as that's concerned. And I thought, I often am asked, like, what was the inspiration for the Wicked Sister? And um, the Wicked Sister is told in two parts. We have Rachel's story in the present and her mother's story in the past. So Rachel's story was actually inspired by a newspaper article I read many, many years ago. And it was about a little boy. I, I want to say he was a two or three. He was just a toddler. He was in the back seat, strapped in his car seat in, in the car, and he found a loaded handgun in his mother's purse. And he took it out and he shot her through the seat and he killed her, which of course is horrible. But for me, I, I thought, well, what would be the effect on that young man, you know, when he grows up? At some point, he's going to find out what he did, right? You know, you're not going to tell a little child, but but somewhere along the line, he's going to know. And so, you know, imagine you're you're living your life and you're thinking, you know, I'm a good person. I wouldn't hurt anybody. And then you find out that you did this terrible thing. So that was the sort of thing I wanted to explore for, for Rachel's story. For uh, her mother's story, that was inspired by friends of ours who uh, adopted three uh, siblings when they were fairly young, like maybe four to 10, age four to age 10. And uh, the two younger kids did really well in the new environment. Obviously, there were some issues because they were available for adoption, right? You know, but um, the older child just became more and more of a handful and he became violent toward his brother and sister. And um, when he was 12, it's um, his, his parents had to put him in an institution. They couldn't manage him anymore. And again, you know, talk about a heartbreaking sort of thing, right? You know, as a mother, they, they love these kids. They've had them for a long time. And, and how do you decide when it's beyond what you can handle, what, beyond what you can manage, you know? And so that's the situation that Jenny is in. You know, obviously one of the girls is, is uh, uh, well, she's a psychopath. There's, it's no big secret about that. So, um, you know, Jenny just tries to manage things on her own and, and things go badly. So um, The Wicked Sister was also a bestseller. It was published in um, only 10 languages. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, uh, hey, we had a pandemic going on at the same time, you know, everything was a little wacky for the last few years. And so um, I thought I'd mention just a little bit of my inspiration, um, as far as like the the setting is concerned for the Wicked Sister. If, um, if, if you read the book, and you were thinking about this beautiful, over the top, gorgeous log cabin, were any of you thinking of Granite Loma in Marquette? Yep. <laughs> so I didn't start with that. I, I started just my husband and I did furniture upholstery and we've been in some gorgeous log cabins. Right. But I happened to, to uh, become aware of it. And, you know, it was for sale and there's pictures on the website, you know, for the realtor's website. And I definitely took inspiration from from that, just looking at the pictures and uh, details like there's in uh, the stairway in the log cabin in the book has it's made of half logs and with the bark still on and then on the ends um, fairy tale scenes were were painted well um, there's a, a similar staircase in uh, granite loma and so forth so that was one and then to uh, 
the inspiration for the bears, um, I wanted to make bears a big part of the book because, you know, that's that's our largest predator, right? And black bears, of course, I, I know you guys know, are they're not grizzlies, <laughs> you know, they're not fierce and, and ferocious. And I wanted to depict them more or less as they really are. So I went up to Oswald's bear ranch. He told me a lot of things about the bears that, you know, made it into the book. Like, um, for some reason, I, I didn't think about it, but it's, you know, because they all hibernate for the winter, um, they work like crazy through the summer to to feed all those bears and take care of them. But then in the winter, the bears just go to sleep <laughs> and they can go to Florida or wherever it is they want to go. So I just thought that was really, really interesting. And then um, in in um, the book, as you know, I have a white bear uh, and I'm sure you all know, I wish I should have had printed out a picture, but this fall, right, there was a white bear spotted on a trail cam in the Upper Peninsula. So uh, I'm a genius, clearly, <laughs> for putting that detail in the book. And um, so that is is about all I was going to talk about as far as like, you know, my career and the two books and how they came about. I'm happy to take questions because, you know, I get tired of hearing my own voice. So if anybody has a question, you can, um, I don't know, Evelyn, what's, what's the procedure? Do they just raise their hand or unmute themselves or what? <laughs> um, yes, people just kind of raise their hand and ask questions and unmute themselves, and it, we're very casual. So All right, very good. <laughs> I said, okay. Go ahead, Jane. Yes, um, I was impressed with your research. I noticed uh, you mentioned uh, Northern Michigan University. They have an extensive bear research project going on. Did you contact any of those people? You know, I probably should have. I didn't. My research focused mostly on on the traits and characteristics of a psychopath, a, a child psychopath. And I, they, I had two main resources for that, which was an article in The Atlantic and an article in The New York Times. And as I say in the book, they don't officially diagnose children as psychopaths because, I mean, really, a lot of children have psychopathic tendencies, right? They, they're horrible little children. They, they, they have to learn how to control the different things, you know, that they do. So you really can't diagnose them. But, but when you look at, a, at, a, at an adult who's a psychopath and you can see the things that they did, you know, as children that, that clearly, you know, led to that and pointed in that direction. And I also used a, um, a resource on, um, there's a question and answer, um, place called Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, and experts will answer questions. And I happened to stumble on a section where um, people who say they are psychopaths um, would answer questions that people put to them. And I, again, I like the bears. I wanted the bears to be like as they really are. And I wanted to depict psychopaths as they really are. And, you know, not deranged killers like in the in the movies, you know, where they run around whacking people for no reason. Um, you know, we probably know psychopaths. We, we may have worked with psychopaths, you know, because it's it's like anyone, um, you know, with a disorder, they learn how to they learn coping techniques, you know, and, and they can get by and they can have relationships, too, as long as the relationship serves them somehow. But like in this uh, discussion forum, people would be ask a question like, well, how do you feel when if your girlfriend breaks up with you? And the answer is nothing. They feel nothing. You know, it just doesn't 
doesn't affect them at all. So um, that that was the main focus of my research, um, not so much the bears, although now you've got me curious. <laughs> I'll have to do some more. Thank you. Uh, and I want to add, um, when I picked the book up um, about four o'clock in the afternoon, and I couldn't go to sleep until I finished it. Those oh. of you that haven't read it, you're missing out on something. It was really good. And it did remind me of the Huron Mountain Club in Marquette. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate hearing that. I saw... I, Jan had a question. Mm -hmm. Hi, Evelyn. <laughs> we have to talk later. But... <laughs> um, yes, I just wanted to comment. I live in Tucson and your books are at our library, thankfully. And after I saw or read that Marsh King's Daughter, I was very anxious to read The Wicked Sister, but our library had so many holds on it. I knew I couldn't read it right away. So when I got this email from Evelyn about this meeting, I quickly checked. And of course, the excitement is over. Not that it's over, but it, there were no holds on it that would impede me from reading it. So I grabbed it, finished it this morning. And the only comment I want to make, it's not a question, but uh, when you spoke about the Marsh King's daughter, I said that I thought you had such a nice ending. And of course, we're not giving anything away. And I felt the same way about this book. I thought things are happening and you just tied everything together so nicely. And I really appreciate that because sometimes I watch a movie or read a book and it just ends. And yes, the author wants to make me think, but sometimes I think they just didn't know where to go with their story, but you always know where to go. And, and still, I think about it. I'm still thinking and just wanted to say thank you for such, you know, give oh, me some nice things to read. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, the book that I'm working on now, I'm working on a third that's set in the Upper Peninsula, and I think it has a really cool ending. So I'll, we'll, we'll get back with you on that. And you okay. can tell me what you think. <laughs> I saw Sue had a hand up. Uh, when you start a book, do you know how it's going to end or does that develop over the course of writing the book? Thanks. That's a great question. I, I usually do know how it's going to end. A lot of writers just start writing. I need to have an outline because it's kind of like if I'm going to drive to California, I need to know what highways to take. <laughs> I know California is my destination. And that doesn't mean that I can't take side roads and, and stop here and there and, you know, spontaneously do different things. So for me, I, I do know how the book is going to end. And in the case of the Marsh King's daughter, I knew what the last sentence was going to be. Oh <laughs> and it's now the last sentence of the next to the last chapter because my editor wanted me to tack on one more little scene, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, so it, it, it's funny because it's like, it takes a year or more to write a novel. And, you know, so always in the back of my mind is I'm, I'm writing towards that one point, right? And when you finally get there and you're like, Yes, I get to put that last sentence in. So, uh, yeah, that's how it works for me anyway. Any other questions? Comments out there? Vanessa. Hi, Karen. Hi. <clears throat> Thank you for coming. Um, so I read The Wicked Sister and I loved it. Um, and then I read The Marsh King's Daughter because I love The Wicked Sister so much. So they, they're just excellent books and, you know, I could not put them down, which is great. Um, so I have two little girls, three and five. One sort of like, it's, it was very uh, parallel. I don't have a psychopath, but I have a little troublemaker and I have a good little, little daughter. So it's very uh, parallel to my life to read that. Um, and my sister's name is Rachel. So oh, that's wow. kind of, well, wow. 
Um, so I guess I wanted to ask you, how do you come up with the names of characters in your books? Because I thought Rachel and um, her sister's name, uh, which I can't remember right now, um, were sort of different. Um, so I just wanted to get your input on um, where you get the names of all your characters. Yeah, names can be challenging. It's kind of like naming your child, right? You know, sometimes a name sure. just pops into your head and it fits. And, and other times you have to try out different ones first. In the case of Helena and the Marsh King's Daughter, that was a play on, um, it's the Marsh King's Daughter name in the fairy tale is Helga. <laughs> and so I I uh, made it Helena, you know, because it's, it's similar. And then um, Rachel, it just kind of popped into me. Diana, her sister, um, that was deliberately chosen because of, you know, Diana, the, the goddess, the huntress, you know, so um, yeah, that gotcha. was the connotation there. But uh, thanks. Great. I'm glad yeah. they did. <laughs> I felt like I was in the woods with them. It was very interesting. So. Thank, you. Thank you. Well, and, and I don't, I guess I didn't touch on it here right now, but I, for those who don't know, I lived in the Upper Peninsula for 30 years. So my husband and I moved to the UP from the Detroit area as a young married couple. And while we didn't live entirely off the grid, we lived in a tent and we built a cabin and we carried water from a stream and we sampled wild foods. And our daughter was six weeks old when we moved up into the tent. <laughs> so um, I, I love the UP and, and I love writing characters who love the Upper Peninsula. So, you know, it's kind of doubly fun that way. Any other questions, comments out there from the crowd? Oh, Victor. I have a, a question and a comment. Uh, well, I guess actually they're both questions. First, uh, you, you seem to do the cliffhanger at the end of the chapter structure so well. Did you have to practice that or just, does it just come to you naturally? <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes to me naturally, you know, and, and I think one reason is as, as a, as a person, I'm very easily bored, you know, and so I, I like excitement in my stories. And yeah, the 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 cliffhanger endings of the chapters. Um, yeah, it just is like, okay, and especially, you know, like when I'm telling past and present, like in um, uh, the Marsh King's daughter, or two different characters as as in the Wicked Sister, you know, you, you, I'm a little diabolical, you know, because I make the reader wait for, for a chapter before they get the continuation of, of where I broke off. So yeah, it's fun to do it that way. Well, it's working for you. Uh, the other question was, was the incident at the pool? Uh, is that from a real life thing? I mean, it, it seems is. so. It is very vivid. sadly. Yes. It was in one of those articles that I read oh, yeah. and um, the boy was 11 and he he tossed a toddler in the pool and when when he was found the toddler was already dead and he was sitting in a lawn chair next to the pool and when they asked him why did he do this he said he wanted to know what it looked like when somebody drowned so it's wow. yeah it's really awful really awful most of the things that i have diana doing as a child have really been done by children so yeah it's it's pretty horrifying when when you think about it I, I have a, well okay terry go ahead and then i'm gonna i have a little comment mm -hmm. yeah, my comment was um with wicked sister the change from 
the, the story in the present and bringing all that background in so skillfully. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I never felt lost um, or, of course, frustrated because you did leave things hanging and make us focus on something else. But I know it was clearly intentional and, you know, to keep people reading. But that is a difficult thing to do for an entire book. You know, I mean, I've ri written things where I put a little backstory in, you know, a couple paragraphs or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always fear that people are going to get too distracted from the story at hand. And because um, I can't remember Marsh King's daughter, I don't think that was applied so much. Yeah, it, it is a challenge. And I I actually wrote an article for Writer's Digest magazine on, you know, how to how to handle backstory in a in a novel. And Marsh King's daughter, there are a lot of flashbacks. And so that kind of kind of broke a lot of rules as far as that was concerned. And uh, but I feel like the past informs the present. So, you know, if there's a reason why you're going into the past, then it's not extraneous and it's not going to bore the reader. It, you know, if it's important to this to the character, important to the story, if it's just stuff that happened before, you know, the actual beginning of the book, then maybe it shouldn't be in there. But um, it's I think, you know, with the judicious judicious choices you can you can handle backstory really well in a book um, um over to mary yeah i've uh, been to writers conferences here in montana and oregon and um it it seems like right now because the publishing industry is in such a flux you know because of the online and all those things that are out there now to other opportunities that it seems like there's kind of a little bit of a I don't know what to call it we were talking about it at my little writers group today about how you know certain editors will say okay we don't want any ly words you know no adverbs allowed and all of a sudden you know you have to try to okay am I going to bend myself to I mean yeah you don't want to overuse them but on the other hand sometimes you really need it and yes, then there was, yeah, and then there was an, a person in our group who has done like children's lit. And she said, you know, I just, it made me so angry when they, when somebody over in New York said, well, we don't think that rhyming books should be done anymore. I was like, what happened to Dr. Seuss? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like a certain person who happens to have the power, you know, can dictate to everybody. And sometimes I just say, you know what? And do what works for me <laughs> do you have do you run into that well that's absolutely the right way to do it you know I it was 20 years before I had my my breakout success and I had written a couple other novels too that I didn't mention and um you know obviously if if the character if you especially if you're writing dialogue you you have to use you know words that are, are natural to the character and the main thing is to just like I think the the most important things are to vary your sentence structure you know so don't you know mix up short sentences with long sentences and so forth and I try to find you know just the best word to convey what I'm trying to say you know you know I'm sure that feeling when you're satisfied with it and you you feel like yes yes that's that's a good paragraph that's what that's what I wanted to write um yeah it's it 
I wouldn't worry about, you know, what's reportedly coming out of New York, because when they love a book, believe me, they love a book <laughs> and it can break all kinds of rules uh, like the Marsh King's daughter did. Um, I showed an early version to David Morrell because my agent likes uh, it when their authors get endorsements from best-selling authors before he sends it out to editors so that they can um, see that others have already, you know, read and enjoyed the book. And David Morrell, he isn't so much a household name, but he's responsible for creating the character Rambo. He wrote First Blood. And um, so he read an earlier, slightly earlier version of The Marsh King's Daughter. Loved it. Just loved, loved, loved it. But he said, um, I broke so many rules, you know, with like the tense shifts and the multiple uh whatever and he said and god knows how many flashbacks <laughs> it's true i even snuck a, a a flashback in the climactic scene if if you go back and look at the book um and i i'm really proud of myself for sneaking that in there so uh you know it's just a question of of know what the conventions are and then you know break them when you need to I've gotten I've gotten criticized for flashbacks and then I, I'll sit and I'll be reading a bestseller and there's a flashback right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. Thanks. yeah, don't give too much weight to what others say. <laughs> the one thing I was gonna say is when we're talking about psychopaths, I always think of the story. Um, for those of you who don't know, I taught English for about 24 years, and a lot of those years I spent overseas. And when I was teaching in Pakistan we read the story flowers for algernon and maybe a lot of you guys know it but in the story there's they use a, a rorschach test you know the ink blot test and one of my students father he was a psychologist and he could actually read rorschach tests and very few people can and he came to talk to my class about these tests and what they mean and when he said something, and I'll never forget it, and I get goosebumps every time I think about it. He said, they do, you know, if you're a serial killer, which, you know, unfortunately there are serial killers, they do batteries and batteries of tests on these people, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out why they are that way. One thing, the one thing that every psychopath has in common is when they've taken a Rorschach test, they always, you know, people think, oh, they see monsters, they see demons, they see all this stuff. No, what every single one of them sees, I just could go, I'm sorry to tell you this, is they see things out of proportion. Mm. The little tiny people and great, great, great big trees or a table that's huge and a chair that's tiny. And every psychopath has had that commonality. Wow. Isn't that weird? I don't know. I just had to share. <laughs> yeah. I, there's so much to know and so much to learn, you know, that's really, and when you're sitting there talking about how you get on this website and they're answering questions, I think, whoa, you know, cause that's, it's, they are usually pretty um, interesting people to talk to. That's what he was saying too. And not always all that bad to work with, but Wait. there's these little links that people have found and that's one that they found. Wow. Wow. That's very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, way out there, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else about the Wicked Sister? Any questions, comments? Kristen put up her electronic hand. You're so, oh, so great. tech savvy. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I loved Wicked Sister. Absolutely. Um, my comment is I love the use of taxidermy 
Um, I thought that was such a neat way to um, take something that's kind of kind of common in Michigan, the UP especially, and then turn it to make it seem more than what it actually is. It can be something that's more gruesome than what, <laughs> what we're actually seeing. So that was my comment. But my question is, I felt there was some supernatural touches when she was, uh, when Rachel was talking with the animals. I know it was a fairy tale element, but there was, it felt somehow supernatural to me. And I was wondering if in your future books, you would incorporate any sort of otherworldly elements. I don't know how to really describe that communication with the animals. Yeah, I've heard it. That's Thank good. you for that. Thanks for the, the comment too. Um, I've heard it called magic realism mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so so you just like it's it's set in the real world but you just have a little element in there that's it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a little out there and I purposely wrote that so that readers could interpret it how they wished you know um it could be like well Rachel's been in a mental institution <laughs> you know mm -hmm. maybe she's a little wacko or it could be it could be real to her, you know, because we know that there are people that can communicate with animals on a deeper, almost a spiritual level that, uh, you know, the horse whisperer and the, the guy that was, you know, like really close with tigers, and I don't remember his name, you know, so maybe it's like that. Or, you know, people can choose to think that it's maybe a little supernatural, but um, I'm not a fan of supernatural in stories. I like the real world. Um, I think it's, it's almost and this is just me i think of it as a as a cheat you know if you want something to happen in the plot just don't don't make it just like magically happen <laughs> you know make it real that's that's a, that's harder to do in my mind mm -hmm. thank you yeah thanks i i have a question um oh are you finished are you finished no, i'm done i'm done oh, okay um well this is sharon and and i um i have a question that's more personal. How do you maintain balance, Karen? You seem like such an approachable, delightful lady. Um, who in your life helps you maintain that balance between being an international bestseller, you know, having a movie coming out, all this and that, you know, all these accolades, and yet keeps you grounded? Thanks. That's a really nice question. And, you know, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, I'm from the Midwest. We're all pretty down to earth, aren't we? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I think ah, that's so interesting. I, I really credit my parents hugely for, for the core, who I am as a person, my parents, I had two sisters and my parents expected us to excel you know, because of course we were brilliant, wonderful, talented people, right? And, you know, they expected that we would get all A's in school and we often did, but if we came home with a B, their attitude was always, well, I'm sure you did your best, you know, and, and like that. So I had this really, really secure upbringing. As far as like the the accolades not going to my head. I I have seen this happen with other authors. And so, you know, when the Marsh King's daughter sold so, so outstandingly, I told my literary agent, remember we've, we've been together for over 20 years. I said, if I start acting like a diva, you can call me out on it. Tell me what I'm doing. <laughs> but I think the fact that success came later, you know, it, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really change who you are. Like, 
um, from a financial standpoint, um, obviously the the sale of the Marsh King's daughter and all these other languages and everything was was life changing for us. My husband and I we were self employed in the Upper Peninsula for our entire life. Uh, at the end, we did furniture upholstery. We didn't have uh, any savings or pension plan or no way for him to ever retire. So, you know, the, the book writing has been very good to us. But one of my greatest pleasures was, you know, after everything changed was to go into the grocery store and put whatever I wanted in the cart and I didn't have to add it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. So, you know, I, I, you just don't forget those years. I mean, there was one time we had four children. There was one time money was so tight. I would buy one candy bar as a treat and cut it into six pieces. And I do think it's funny. I included my husband yeah. and I, <laughs> we I wanted like our that. share of that candy too, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's good to remind your oneself of that, you know, and um, yes, we're, we're have financial security now, but we also, you know, try to be really generous with it as well. So it, the same goes for the accolades. Um, I'm, yeah, it, it just doesn't quite feel real that, that it's happening to me. It really doesn't like the movie ah, just blows my mind. <laughs> you oh, know, it's it, well-deserved, well-deserved. You. You're a beautiful person as well as an excellent writer. Well, thank you. But, you know, the people who are associated with the movie are so talented and, you know, they all only make uh, two or maybe two movies a year and that they would choose to, you know, use their time and energy to bring Helena's story to life. It, it just is so amazing. I, I never will get used to it. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. you're muted Evelyn <laughs> tell us a little bit about what you're writing now or what you know yes. a little taste sure sure I I'm actually really excited about it so um you know the Marsh King's daughter uses the marsh or the wetland as its main setting and the Wicked Sister uses the forest so um the book that I'm working on now uses Lake Superior the Great Lakes you know because obviously wow. that's a big part of Michigan right you know and so um it's set in Grand Marais uh, I'm calling the book I don't know if this title will stick but I'm calling it the counterfeit granddaughter and the main character is a young woman she grew up, well, she was a crack baby, grew up in foster care. She lives in Detroit in a really, really crummy neighborhood. And she makes her living running grandparent scams. So you know what that is. She calls up old people on the phone and she pretends to be their granddaughter. And, you know, she needs money and she gives them a story and they, they send her money. So um, as the book opens, her flat has burned down and she's lost everything she owns. So she makes one more grandma call. And um, for the first time in her life, she tells the truth about why she needs money. And her grandma not only sends her money, she says, you know, come stay with me till you're back on your feet. So that's what gets her up to Grand Marais, okay? <laughs> but what is fun, I think, is the grandma could be the counterfeit granddaughter of the title because she claims without any proof whatsoever that she is the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway. Mm. <laughs> now we all know, you know, Hemingway was in the UP just once in 1919, but uh, if he ran into her grandma, 
<laughs> that's all it takes is once right <laughs> so um i'm you know instead of a fairy tale element of this book i'm working with this hemingway piece in the story so it's it's really fun and what's also fun for me obviously it's not just a side point it's it's really central to the story but hemingway's early works are now in the public domain so i can put right. even excerpts of of his early short stories and poems in the book so uh yeah i'm having a lot of fun with that one that sounds like fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm taking too long to write it i'm sorry um it's i'm still finishing it but yeah uh, maybe in another year it'll be ready on the shelves <laughs> so thank you for your patience meanwhile read all the other great books that are out there because there's lots of them <laughs> Do we have any other concluding comments or questions or anything? Yeah, just I have a question. Uh, mm -hmm. You talked about the movie. I'm just curious. Sometimes I see movies when an author has a cameo appearance in the movie. Are you going to have a cameo appearance? Yeah, you know, um, I was talking before everybody logged on just a little bit about the movie. So I'll repeat a few things. It, they filmed it last um, in, in the summer of 2021, not last summer, but the summer before. And at the time, um, Canada had a two-week quarantine for anybody coming from the States if you were vaccinated. So um, I was not able to visit the set. I was not able to have a cameo. I really, I wanted to be the woman in the market scene shopping for groceries in the background, you know, picking up fruit or something like that. Because I don't, I don't want a speaking part. But no, that didn't happen. And it was really... So the the movie was under option for four years. So for four years, as it, you know, there's some forward movement and then it stalls and, and whatever. I was always had in the back of my mind, I'm going to visit the set. Well, um, so the way it turned out, Canada lifted their two-week quarantine restriction on August 9 of that summer. The last day of filming was August 6. <laughs> that Next was step. hard to take that was really hard to take but I told myself you know the movie got made some movies didn't get made you know COVID broke out on the set that was the end of it or they got postponed so and you know so I, I really don't have any any complaints about it and I will say this so um the studio knows that of course I didn't get to visit the set but um uh so last may they sent me a link to where i could watch the movie online i could stream it uh, kind of in compensation the the actors haven't seen it yet but i've seen the movie the uh link was active for a week and i watched it nine times <laughs> um, yeah but i love it i love it it's it's gorgeous you know scenery and and the music is very powerful and the storytelling is wonderful and the acting is superb there's a moment where daisy Ridley has to change from looking friendly to looking fierce just in a in a fraction of a second and she does it I don't know how she does it but it's really really nice and I will say this um I I I mentioned I I watched it nine times I I would tear up at the ending every single time <laughs> and it's like I know how this movie ends right? <laughs> But there were times when I would, I would, there would be a bit of dialogue or, you know, much has changed. Obviously it has to be because this is an adaptation, you know, it's based on my book. They're not recreating my book, 
but there would be times when you know a seat certain scene or even a, a piece of dialogue and I would I would think I wrote that <laughs> it's so crazy <laughs> I wanted to ask if you could give the names of your scientific ones um, I have to confess, my my interests are more on that line because of my background. Ah, and, yeah. Uh, well, so, so they're, they're both out of print. Um, oh, okay. You can get used copies on eBay. Uh, I don't okay. I don't think a library would have them anymore because they they would be pretty well well born yeah. and probably crossed out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Point and, point. Point. and while we're doing show and tell, so I told some i'm not at home i i rent a room and i schlepped a few of the foreign copies of the wicked sister down and i i forgot to show them so i lugged these books down here this is korean right okay and this is polish i hope you can see it pretty well there oh yeah. it's very clear yeah um this one is interesting this is hungarian and uh you can see there it's quite the quite the picture with the animals and the girl lying in the in the grass and so forth. This one is um, Dutch, so you know again eerie. And this is the German. Um, I, I do think it's funny because um, when I first saw this cover, I thought, "Are you kidding me?" Because this this cabin is like shabbier than Helena's cabin, and it's supposed to be a beautiful cabin. And then they call it uh, De Raven Doctor, which is uh, the Raven's daughter. So nothing about oh. Wicked Sister. But I was told that um, they made these choices because it was three years between the Marsh King's daughter and um, the Wicked Sister publishing. And they wanted to remind people of the Marsh King's daughter. And it was a bestseller in Germany, as the Marsh King's daughter was. So I guess they knew what they were doing. See, it <laughs> says Der Spiegel bestseller. So that was cool. <laughs> So that's show and tell. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Well, thank you. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I got to get back to gallery to see if anybody else had anything. Well, I, I Karen, it's I, I just love how you said you're a little bit diabolical. You're so cute <laughs> and nice with the book and the plant. I just don't. But then you write these books. Maybe you are. A little bit diabolical. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I, I want to add on that. So like, I'm, I am fascinated by tragedy, right? I'm drawn to write about tragic things, but it isn't that by itself. It's how people get beyond that, right? That's what the Marsh King's daughter and the Wicked Sister are. Yeah. Um, we know the reality is that, that I had a perfect childhood and upbringing but not everybody does you know and some some people have really crummy upbringings and so how do you become an adult and not be defined by you know the circumstances that you grew up in how do you get beyond that so I think of them you know almost as stories of redemption and you exactly. know thank you thank you so uh yeah and and you know if you're going to be redeemed I guess you have to have some bad stuff happen so yeah uh, well, we'll see what happens to Hemingway, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For that one. It's yeah. really nice, Karen. It's nice that, you know, I, I don't know about how the others feel, but somebody who's, you know, from the Upper Peninsula, it's it's nice to be written about. And it's nice to have you want to talk to us about it because, and Victor, I think, can attest to this. There are other authors 
and they get famous and you know that they're they're on to other things they they don't want to talk to us so i'm glad you do <laughs> well thank you thank you and you know like the up has such a special place in my heart um and again you know i i talk to a lot of groups but when i talk to michigan readers i just feel like we really connect you know and and uh, even whoever made the comment about the taxidermy and it being common oh my goodness i get <laughs> roasted for that on amazon people think it's horrible <laughs> and they think it's horrible that helena eats animals <laughs> and it's like no 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 hunting season's coming up we know how it all works <laughs> that's right <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And um, uh, I will be sending out the recording to to those of you. I know a few of you had um, storm issues because the weather is not so good. And so you've been kind of coming in and out, but you'll be able to watch the recording in a few days or so once Brandy gets it all sewn up together for us. Right, Victor? Brandy's amazing. I, I can't thank her enough. Yeah, she's really good. But thank you, Karen. We are eagerly awaiting the movie and, of course, your next book and to see what happens with that grandma and the girl and Hemingway. Yeah. And thank you for including us in your evening. So have a nice night, everybody. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And Nina, I just saw your comment in the chat, too. I appreciate that. Oh, good. Um, I'm, yeah. I love your book. Thank oh. you. Thank you. And Victor, nice to see you again. I hope Absolutely. We're in person one of these days. <laughs> thank you, Evelyn. And thank you, everybody, for coming. You've been watching the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. To join or for more information, please visit us at www.upa.org or www.upnotable.com. <laughs>